weather. It's the international best-selling author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, or the co-founder of Match.com, or the host of the MSNBC show, Your Business. They all have one thing in common. They are some of the many guests that want you to reach the finish line. Your host is Callan Diggs. Welcome. And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Tanya Hall. Uh, Tanya is the CEO of Greenleaf. Greenleaf started as a book distributor, but over time they evolved into a first hybrid publisher. Uh, they've published and distributed nearly 2,000 titles and have close to 40 New York Times bestsellers. They've been recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing publishers. Very happy to have Tanya with us. Tanya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Great. Let's go back in time, Tanya. You know, where did it start, you know, as far as kind of how do you kind of rose to be kind of a CEO? You know, when you when you was younger, did you kind of have in mind that this is the route you wanted to go? Or was this kind of something you stumbled upon? Or maybe your, maybe your parents were in the literary world. Let's talk about that a bit. Uh, you know, it's. I think as the older we get, when we look back at so many of the things that we plan out when we're young, very rarely <laughs> do we actually excuse me, stay that course, right? So, no, I, I started uh, as a film major, so I've always been in the media world, and my background is actually in television. So I lived in Los Angeles, and I worked in entertainment news television for many years. I worked at the TV show Extra and for e-cable networks and the Style Channel went over into the Internet world in the late 90s, like so many people in that business. Um, so, you know, later in my career, when I, I kind of fell into publishing when I decided I moved, I wanted to move to Austin and uh, needed to find a job <laughs> to make that happen. And I randomly was just applying to places, and Greenleaf Book Group was one of them. They were looking for a distribution manager at the time, and it was about a four-person company, so, you know, very, very small little startup. And... Uh, I, I really just wanted sort of a transition job, and lo and behold, I really fell in love with the company and the work and the challenge of building out um, the retail network that has really become the backbone of our success here at Greenleaf. So it's been 13 wow. years since I started here, and I um, I often talk to the younger people in my company about you know this notion of always wanting to climb up the proverbial career ladder when you know it's it's sometimes just as valuable to do what I did which is to sort of hop all around the company and gain a lot of uh insight and corporate history and just knowledge of how everything works together um to mm-hmm. really set yourself up to be effective in a leadership role for sure i can imagine Tanya, you know a lot of a lot of people uh you know probably look up to you especially kind of where you stand now uh in the publishing world and and i talk to a lot of young people as well try to give them give them guidance so they can avoid making the same mistakes that I made. You stated that you was a film major. Perhaps we can go back there. So for the moment, because I like to ask this because typically um, for some people, college is a choice. And for other, really, college is not necessarily, they don't have a choice because their parents are like, well, hey, you want to go to college whether you like it or not. So uh, I'm very curious to see, you know, how that was for you from the day you graduated from high school, you know, were, were you were, were you an, an assistant uh, in going to college? 
I definitely grew up in a household where it was expected and, and just anticipated that you would go to college. Uh, although I will say that in my house, <laughs> uh, the creative world was not really encouraged. You know, I, uh, I did grow up in Los Angeles, but my dad was an aerospace engineer. My mom was a nurse. So, you know, very much mm. sort of uh, practical trades. And um, yeah. they, they kind of turned their nose up at this idea of going into the arts as like, well, you're, you're going to be broke <laughs> the rest of your life, you know, because <laughs> who's going to hire a film major? <laughs> so uh, that was my, my, in fact, uh, had a, you know, for a while there, I had a tough time convincing them to help me with my tuition. So things like creating student films are very expensive and I had to find creative ways to fund a lot of that. But anyways, it worked out yeah. and, you know, they understood when, eventually when I explained to them and was able to show them um, with a very strong start to my career, I got I was very lucky to get my foot in the door at the TV show Extra while I was still in college. Um, you know, that's actually a very lucrative <laughs> area of business, and it's a business. So I think once they realized that it wasn't just me, you know, just sort of strolling about making documentaries, it was actually contributing to these huge media conglomerates. And, you know, it's it's just a different industry, but it's still an industry. Um, it's actually a, a very fruitful line of work, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you you working with companies like Extra and uh, E, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, for, you know, that college degree definitely paid off. You know, for some people I know, unfortunately, they graduate and they're struggling and, you know, they, they graduate with this, let's say, art history degree and they can't they can't find a career related to that. And some people say the same thing about film. Mm -hmm. uh, but fortunately, um, you know, fortunately, uh, you, you was, I, I would imagine you was persistent, you was dedicated uh, to make, to, to, uh, and to, to, to see to the end that you were able to get a career, uh, you know, in, in such a field that you graduated from the university from. So uh, kudos to that. And, you know, like I said, now, now you're a CEO of a, a book publisher. I definitely want to kind of go into that and talk about the differences nowadays. Because back in the day, it was really all about the big book publishers. It was, you know, Simon Schuster, HarperCollins, mm -hmm. uh, Penguin, those type of guys. And really, they kind of was, in a sense, um, they had the whole market share. And if you was fortunate, maybe you had an agent who was maybe had some connections and, you know, he would act like a gatekeeper. And if he thought she was good enough or she thought she was good enough, mm -hmm. then they would pass you on to their uh, publisher. So but let's talk about kind of what Greenleaf is, because Greenleaf is, you know, you have traditional book publishing and then you have like self-publishing, but then you're the hybrid. So let's talk about exactly what is a hybrid book publisher. Yeah, good question. And as you said, it's it's a model that, you know, while we've been around for 20 years, it's really sort of grown in popularity and acceptance, um, I would say maybe in the last five to ten and as it sounds, a hybrid publisher is in between self-publishing and traditional publishing. So for us, that means that our authors have the creative control. They're investing in the production of their books. And so that means, of course, they're keeping the larger share of royalties on the back end like they would in the self-publishing model. Um, they have more brand control. Okay, so go ahead. Let's stop, let's stop there and break that down. When you say creative control, mm -hmm. um, so and you know, I'm aware of many of this, but just but just for kind of the 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 person listening 
who may not understand exactly what that is. You know, they're, they never publish a book or, you know, just that they're not familiar with those type, type of terms as using literary world. Um, basically, you're saying, and you correct, correct me if I'm wrong, that, the, that really the author is not necessarily being guided about how the book should be structured. Is that correct? Well, they're being, that's, that's a little bit nuanced, actually, because in our model, well, if you're self-publishing, let's say, let's take that approach first. If you're self-publishing, obviously, it's your show, and you can do whatever you want with your book. <laughs> uh, in a hybrid model, now, of course, we ultimately have to sell it, and we are, um, you know, we work directly with the airport accounts and Barnes and & Noble and international markets, so it's in our interest to maintain a really high quality line, which is part of why we're so successful. So we work alongside our authors to give them advice on, hey, this book would be more marketable if we took this angle or if we did a case study about this. So when when I say they have creative control, it's usually a collaborative <laughs> compromise situation because they'll say, well, I get that you might think that's going to make it sell better in Barnes & Noble, but I need it to say this because the book also serves a purpose for my core clients and in building my business. And this case study is important for that reason. So um, usually mm -hmm. that's where creative control comes in. Or if they have like a very specific uh, color palette or logo or look for their company that they, they want to make sure that that carries over onto the cover design of the book, of course, that's a huge part of their branding collateral. So in that case, um, that's where you know they're in the driver's seat with us, and we'll work together to create something that we know we can sell, but it's also aligned with their business needs, which would not happen on the traditional side. On the traditional side, of course, you hand over your manuscript, and they're going to they're gonna do it their way because they're paying you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. just follow the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that I'm glad that you uh, kind of explained, uh, you know, what creative control at least means to uh, how you do things at Greenlee. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. My publisher, my first book, uh, Reaching the Finish Line, uh, was Morgan James, and they're also a hybrid publisher. And they also sell that, you know, you have creative control. And, but, but, as you say, it's kind of nuanced. Like it's like subjective because the difference, at least with Morgan James, was I just wrote the I just wrote the manuscript, uh, submitted it, uh, submitted it. A manager editor to kind of just took a you know took a took a look at it, and you know once you know a few months it was being published. So uh, it, it appears that at least with Greenleaf, that I guess you are uh, a bit more involved. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Well, definitely. And again, I think that goes back to um, the, the care we take to really nurture and develop our line because, yes, we want every book to read like it's, you know, it, well, every book is completely professionally edited mm -hmm. through multiple levels, um, just trying to make sure that we're serving our needs on the retail side and protecting our reputation, but also that we're helping the mm -hmm. author develop a book that really captures the spirit of the message they're trying to share and the audience that they want to mm -hmm. serve. Because sometimes those things are where we have a little mm -hmm. bit of a disconnect. I see. I see. And you also talk about how the author 
kind of keep kind of retain their rights. Uh-huh. Explain exactly what that means. Is it like exclusive? Is it semi-exclusive? Uh, you know, how does Greenleaf uh, do it? Sure. So many of the authors that we work with are speakers or consultants, and for those people, mm-hmm. you know, your intellectual property is your world, right? That's that's how you make money. So. Mm-hmm. In a traditional deal, like if you were an author and you wanted to go work with Wiley, typically their agreement will have some clause in there that gives them a bit of control over the rights around things like workshops and workbooks and mm-hmm. um, other ancillary products that play off of that intellectual property that you were licensing to them in the first place. So in our model, mm-hmm. of course, um, as in the self-publishing side, you would retain all of those rights uh, because, again, because you're investing in the production of the book. So the the right that we have as the publisher really kind of goes back to our roots in distribution. We have a right to sell the book to the trade, and that's the only part that's, um, I guess you could say it's exclusive. Uh, we sell, we expect our author to not compete with us to sell to Barnes and Noble and the airport stores, and that would be silly because really they can't. But um, yeah. you know that is the the right that we have a our agreement gives us, and even then it's kind of unusual because they. Uh, we really believe in the power of positive business relationships. So if they decide at some point, hey, Greenleaf, this isn't working, or um, this happens on occasion, they get a traditional publisher who comes in and wants to buy their rights, then they can exit in 30 days. So we've had that happen. where one, It's bittersweet, you know, but sometimes one of our books just goes crazy, and then a big publisher comes in and says, hey, I'd like to give you this sweet advance and take over from here. And they say, okay. <laughs> Wow. And sometimes they say no, frankly. Wow. I have a really good example of an author who turned that down because again, he's a he's a very successful speaker. And on the traditional side, mm-hmm. that if he, if he took that deal, yes, the advance is attractive, but he would have to buy his books back from the publisher to be able to sell them back of room. And in our model, of course, since he's paying for the production, he already owns the books. So it was when he ran the numbers much more profitable for him to stay within our model due to the size and reach of his direct sales platform as a speaker. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess I guess we'll go this direction mm-hmm. since you mentioned it. When you say pay for production, um, I think of things like subsidiary publishers like Lulu, uh, you know, like uh, like like these other types of on-demand publishing. Is that what you mean by paper production, or is it different under the umbrella of Greenleaf? Well, I guess it's different in terms of you know how we approach it. Like our operational, the operation side of the business runs very much like a traditional house in terms of the staff that we have here in Austin and the timelines that we work on and so forth. Um, but the our authors, and again, in exchange for holding onto those rights and a bigger piece of the royalties on the back end, they are paying for the editing and the design. Uh, the printing and um, whatever marketing they choose, you know, and all of these things, as you might imagine, can vary, you know, to, to a huge degree, just depending on how involved we are at each of those levels. But those are the uh, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of pulling from the self-publishing side of the hybrid model. They're investing in the ownership of the books again to have those other benefits on the back end. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting because yeah, Morgan James. From what you're saying, and experience I had, Morgan James. Morgan James. It's been quite different, but uh, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. You said that the the author, uh, you know, gets a bigger share of the royalties. 
for a first-time author working with Greenleaf, what does that look like? Sure. So it this gets a little bit complicated, but <laughs> we'll go for it. So the, okay. uh, in our model, the author retains 35% of the cover price for everything that we invoice. So that's going to be any, so for a $10 book for easy math, even though, you know, typically it would be twice that, uh, they would be keeping $350. Typically it's a $20 book, so they're getting more mm-hmm. like $7. Uh, that is about three times higher than what you would receive on a traditional deal. Now, of course, on a traditional deal, you're also not paying anything up front. So the the big difference, and again, where it gets to be really profitable for a, an author in the hybrid model, is that anything that they're selling directly on their own, back of room or whatever the case may be, they're keeping 100% of that. We don't touch it. So that's quite unusual, mm. and uh, again, you can do the okay. math and figure out where that gets really lucrative really quickly, especially if you, um, you know, a lot yeah. of them will work a book for every audience member into their speaking fee. Well, that's a 1,000 books and a, a lot of money on top of their existing fee. So, yeah, it works out really well for those folks, and um, on the ebook side is a little bit different. It works, it's kind of the same math. It's 70% of net. Uh, and I know your you know, people listening are probably thinking like 35% of the cover price. So Greenleaf is laughing all the way to the bank with the rest of that. No. <laughs> so the when we sell to our wholesale partners, it's usually at a 55% discount. So that means we're making 10% in the middle there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. basically, so 35% off. Yeah, I was going to say so 35% off of print. 70% off the of ebooks, and then I guess y'all get, y'all get a percentage off of audiobooks too, right? Yes, yeah, and the audiobooks are very similar to ebooks where we pay off of net instead of okay. off retail price. But it all works out to be about you know, 70% of receivables. But the, the print side is just a little bit different since it works on the wholesale model. And uh, in all cases, mm-hmm. Greenleaf's making about 10 to 15% as the middleman. But that's where I was saying it gets a little complicated. Uh, but the the whole business is set up um, really going back to our roots as a distributor. Uh, if if I'm talking to someone within mm-hmm. the publishing industry, they'll recognize that, okay, it's, the model is set up like a distributor offering publishing services in terms of, you know, what we make mm-hmm. on the book sales side. Right, right. Yeah, it definitely, it, it is slightly different because uh, over at Morgan James, um, you, you don't really, there's no paper production. They kind of foot the bill for the production cost, but yet when it comes to the royalty structure, uh, it's not as high as yours. It's not 35, 70%. It's, a, it's, it's, it's lower than that. So, yeah, and I see how, you know, they kind of, you know, obviously they have to they have mm-hmm. to do that, you know, especially if they're foot if they're footing the production cost. And for and for you at Greenleaf, uh, the author pays for that, but yet in return, uh, they get. Uh, a higher share That's of the world. right. Yeah, you're right. They're just they're sort of different takes on a, on the same hybrid publishing um part of the industry. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh uh it's, it's people like people like yourself, people like David Hancock and Morgan James. Uh you know, a lot of these hybrid publishers, I I really I really find it very interesting. Uh definitely a, a type of business that I'm quite sure many people would like to kind of hop into, especially if they're kind of literary heads. They're, they like publishing, mm-hmm. they like reading, they like books and all that. Uh, so, and, and that really brings me to ask you this question. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become our premium radio subscriber. 
go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial free one hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. You know, really the book industry has changed, you know, you know, in, in the last decade. Uh, you know, nowadays, uh, you, know, every, you, know, every, you know, more people are starting to buy digital uh, uh, books as opposed to the physical books. Now, that, 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 that does change a bit depending on kind of where you're looking at and, uh, you know, what study you're reading. But definitely there's no doubt that the digital uh, the ebooks are really taking a, a, a bigger hold of the overall book share. And then uh, we have Amazon. And it's just a lot of factors in where authors are not necessarily making as much as they were uh, 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, and, and also, a lot of the big publishers had to start being creative because they started, they started to see year-to-year reductions in their profits. You know, so, you know, they're working on doing a lot of these creative deals, ebook only deals, a lot of these deals really are just or if they see if they, if they see a rising self published author, they're all from like a, a four book deal for like six figures or something like that. You know, as as Greenleaf coming into the space, you know, being a hybrid publisher, you know, not really tied to any of those kind of big umbrella book publishers, you know, how were how was you able to survive and thrive? you know, with the high turnover of a book, book of startup? Um, good question. So really, the, the there's a few different reasons, but the core reason that we've been as successful as we are goes back to being a distributor. And, you know, that's, that's the barrier of entry that any other hybrid publisher trying to get into the space will come up against is trying to get, um, in, you know, a meeting with the buyers and a reputation built with, you know, the airport accounts and all of these folks that we can just call on and get our books in, um, that takes years and years to develop. And it's a very difficult business that's rather complicated. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're just blessed that that's, that's where we started. So we were able to build on it from there. And, and we've always kept it in-house. So we handle all of the sales of our books here. And we have our own team of commissions uh, field reps. We don't farm it out. And most of our competitors farm that out. So that affects them on the margin side, obviously, but it also creates a disconnect between the feedback that we get from those accounts. So we can say to an airport retailer, do you like this book cover? And they'll say, mm-hmm. no, if, if you did this or this, we'd bring it in. Well, that really helps us to develop a better product. So that's been a huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge part of our success. Um, but the other part of it is probably just luck and timing, you know, because for like when I started at Greenleaf, self-publishing was still sort of looked not sort of it was looked down on and just kind of considered the redheaded stepchild. And then, as you know, over the years, it's become not only accepted but many more traditionally, historically traditionally published authors have chosen to walk away from that in favor of self-publishing for various reasons. So um, it's become much more legitimate, and I think uh, that has definitely helped us where people are understanding now that being traditionally published is not necessarily the crown jewel in, you know, the publishing kingdom. It's just one way of doing business. And there's multiple ways to get a book out to the world um, with most not being right or wrong. It's just a matter of what's the right fit for each type of author. 
Mm, interesting. I definitely want to uh, go into um, as far as, you know, let's say, you know, you know someone's listening uh, and they're like, wow, you know, this definitely doesn't sound as intimidating as me trying to go through an agent or me trying to pitch HarperCollins or, or, or Penguin. Um, you know, I, I might want to, I might want to, you know, consider, you know, uh, going with Greenleaf, uh, you know, see if they can publish my book. Uh, you talk about the cost of production. Uh, you know, what do you sit there with editing? You know, if you could break that down and what does that look like specifically? So maybe a, a prospective author who might want, want you to publish their book, they can know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So uh, a very fair question and one that is somewhat difficult to answer because, and I'm not trying to be evasive, but as you might imagine, it's sort of like saying, what does it cost to build a house, you know? <laughs> like, where is this house and what is it made out of yeah, and how big true. is it? And <laughs> uh, but I can, yeah, I That's can give true. you ranges, though, and I'm happy to do so. So um, let's take... Yeah, let's just look, uh, let's just say Tanya. Let's say a sure. first time off. Uh, okay, let's let's play that game. And so let's say it's a business book and it's about 200 pages, hardcover, six by nine, and they're usually printing. Let's say like 3,000 copies. The printing is about a third of the expense. Uh, that person, if they're going through a pretty standard level of editorial and design and marketing, and again, you know, the dials can turn wildly on all these things. Um, that's probably 30 to 50 thousand mm-hmm. dollars. If somebody is taking a more digital approach like you described where there's no actual physical inventory and we're not printing the books, uh, you know, that can be probably closer to fifteen to twenty five thousand. Again, just depending heavily on the level mm-hmm. of editorial involved and how aggressive we're getting on the marketing side of things. So it, it definitely requires capital mm-hmm. and it requires um, a confident author who has the platform to make the model work for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you stated that you know it has to have mm-hmm. the platform uh, because uh, perhaps maybe maybe an author without a, maybe an author with no platform, you know maybe you know they may that might not be the uh, the best route for them to go. It might not be a good return uh, on their investment with that. So that that's yeah, very yeah. important. Um, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious the, uh, about the marketing you do because a lot of people uh, they, they get books published. And they feel, oh, I, I wrote the book, so now the publisher <laughs> does all the work. Now I don't got to do anything now. I, you know, I just got, I go to the beach, sit my beach chair with my glass of lemonade, <laughs> relax, and all the money just going to roll in. You know how, you know, what, what kind of, uh, I guess, what extent does Greenleaf, uh, kind of, uh, contribute? Uh, to the market. Uh, a good question, and and you're right. I think you know. To be fair, writing a book is really hard, as you know. <laughs> and I think so many people just want to mm-hmm. put the pencil down and and like you said, sit back in the hammock with the lemonade and <laughs> go book go. But uh, no, that's that's just the beginning. The marketing it is certainly the hardest part, and that's just due to the massive amounts of competition uh, that you're facing, not only in the publishing world but all all types of media. We're all fighting for the same eyeballs, you know. So, uh, in terms of what Greenleaf does, again, it varies depending on our author and um, what kind of team they bring to the table and where they're strong and where they might really need some help. Um, so the one thing, I'll start by telling you what we don't do, and that is um, traditional okay. publicity, like outreach to print and radio, 
um, that kind of a thing that a, that usually a literary publicist would handle simply because it, that's not our core business, and I respect that it's best handled by someone who's a specialist with deep contacts in that area. So we have folks that we can refer our authors out to who we know you know, have historically done good work. Um, but things that we do help our authors with are more sort of industry-focused marketing where, you know, Publishers Weekly type advertising and Goodreads review campaigns and giveaways and um, other things that are really more industry-leaning. And then on the – this is a very unique, this next thing uh, for a publisher. We have a whole part of our business that is very – uh, focused on helping the authors refine their brand and put together a strategy to build the platform that we talked about earlier. And as we come to a close, Tanya, if people want to get in contact with you, if they want to follow you, or maybe learn more about uh, the process of them getting involved into uh, becoming an author. Email me directly, and that is Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, at greenleafbookgroup.com or find me on Twitter at Tanya Hall, T-A-N-Y-A-H-A-L-L. And then, of course, the good old-fashioned telephone works fine, 512-891-6100. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs. If you haven't already, purchase the book, Reaching the Finish Line, at Reaching the Finish Line. Now it's time for you to start reaching your finish line. So what are you waiting for? Start 